our area. Through the first week of May, Aurora has had 554 burglaries. That is down nearly 7% from a year ago. Burglary calls in Adams County down 14%. Jefferson County reported a 16% drop. Now, that doesn't change the impact, the impact that just a single burglary has on the victim. So tonight, Denver 7 investigative reporter Jace Larson goes inside a prison to ask a burglar what makes a home a target for him. We've all worried about it. Someone breaking in, going through our personal items and stealing our stuff. How many homes did you break into? Uh, I would say maybe somewhere in between uh, 20 uh, to 25. Devin Tankara knows about breaking in. He lives his life now at this minimum security prison. You know, I was trying to get a job and things got difficult. And at first, he broke into vacant apartments to sleep. Then he needed money to eat. And from there, it spiraled. He liked breaking into places where no one was home. And he hit after sundown. You'll know who's home based on whose lights are on and whose lights are off. Did you always knock on the door before you broke in? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I wouldn't want to yeah, it would be reckless not to. Yeah. And if somebody came to the door, what did you do? I asked for a fake name or something and walk away, choose somewhere else. Some place where he could get in, get his loot, and get out in under 10 minutes. Jewelry, televisions, um, laptops, tablets, some money. Basically, just start filling up a suitcase. Did you take one of their suitcases or did you bring no, something with you? No, they usually have a suitcase in the closet. Empty it out, fill it up. What he says matches what several other prisoners told me in this survey that I mailed to them. While some burglars said they did break windows or doors to get in, most of them said it was easy to find doors and windows unlocked. Burglar alarms and signs were a deterrent, but one said only a little. And don't think you're fooling anyone by stashing your cash here. Another guy told us you'd be surprised how many people keep money in the freezer. And I wasn't dressed stereotypical as a criminal wearing a hoodie or nothing like that. I was dressed regular. Probably how you're dressed right now, honestly. <laughs> the idea that a burglar who's not disguised might knock on your door is a little bit unsettling, especially if you and your kids are home alone. Is it best for people to answer their door? That's going to be a personal decision. Marka Putnam has been a police officer for 17 years. But you can always yell through the door. Can I help you? Go away. Don't, I'm not coming to the door. If somebody had a dog, did that deter you? Of course. Tankara says the best thing you can do is make it clear that someone's at home. He says when someone was inside, he moved on. Always try to make the best out of each day. And moving on is what, what he's trying reading? to do now with his life. He's up for parole next year, and he hopes that homeowners can learn from him. For the people who are watching this, what advice do you have for homeowners? Lock your doors and lock your windows. On the west... Lock your doors and lock your windows. For burglars, their weapon of choice to break out, or you could say their tool of choice to break into a, a house or an apartment, it's not necessarily a crowbar or something else you might think about. It's really your negligence. It's really your ne our negligence. The moment we don't lock our doors and lock our windows, all of a sudden, they have full access. And he said it himself. It's like, that is pretty much the prime target. And it's so different, of course, when there's layers of protection in a house. And making, not just making sure that the door is locked and the windows are locked, but there might be an alarm system. There might be um, pr probably a dog in the backyard. Whenever there's layers the safer the house are. I don't know if many of you know, but one of the biggest problems that's happening, not only just in the city of Elizabeth, but it's happening throughout the entire country, is people breaking into cars. There's people in this room right now, probably it's happened to you before. And what's different now compared to the past is that they're not really breaking glass. They're not really prying open the door. Many times to just walk up and down the street, just checking door handles, one after another, just finding the one that's left open. And how many seconds it takes them to go inside and to look through the stuff? Just like 10 seconds. In 10 seconds, they've already looked through the stuff, made a mess, grabbed whatever they want, and they left. But all they're looking for is an open door. Many times they'll go right into the driveway of a house too and they'll just check the doors to see if for some reason it was left open. 
So without question, the greatest tool burglar uses is our negligence. And without question, the greatest way that the enemy comes into our lives and tries to influence us is also because of our negligence. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. Today we're wrapping up our series called Declaring War. I hope last week you enjoyed. I know we did something completely different last week. Uh, it was a, our family day. And the main thing with that was for our kids from Kids Church to join us here in service and do something that the entire family could enjoy. In addition to that, it was a great opportunity to invite people that would normally not come to a regular church service or something like that for them to be able to come in and enjoy a show. And the show was definitely excellent. Now, I know we often say that God has a plan for your life, and he does. Amen? You believe it? Raise your hand. All right, God has a plan for your life. All right, do you believe that the devil has a plan for your life too? Raise your hand. He does. The devil has a plan for your life too. And I, we've read this, a key verse, John 10.10. 10. It's going to be behind me. It says this, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the plan. The plan of the enemy is to steal and kill and destroy. And we know that God has a plan as well. And it says, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So today we're wrapping up the series Declaring War. So we really thank you for being here. For those watching through our live stream, we really appreciate it as well. And feel free to comment as well. There we have people that could address any comments that pop up in the thread. I want to read a statement that, was, that I saw once in an article, which I feel as though captures this, pretty much the plan that the enemy has for our lives. It says this, the thief wants to get his hand into every good thing that you have. He wants to find access to go deep into your life so that he could walk off with everything you hold precious and dear. And that's not all. When he's finished stealing all your goods and possessions, he'll take his plan to rob you blind to the next level. The goal of this thief is to totally waste and devastate your life, your purpose, and your destiny. Make no mistake, the enemy's ultimate aim is to completely destroy you. Completely destroy you. And I mentioned in the series too, sometimes there's two extremes that people could have when it comes to the enemy. There are those that feel like the enemy is everywhere, behind everything, trying to destroy them and everything, and that's one extreme. Obviously, that's not true. Uh, the enemy is not God. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He could only be at one place at a time, him and his demons and stuff. So that extreme view is wrong. And then there's the opposite extreme view, where, which they believe that the enemy's not real. There's, I, there's many Christians that tell me, it's like, Carlos, I don't believe Satan is real. They're like, I, I don't believe demons are real. I don't believe they could impact me or, or my life. So those are the two extremes, and we want you to have a healthy middle perspective. Obviously, it's like you're there, you understand that the enemy is real, but at the same time, you understand, too, is that he's not in, in everything and behind everything. But at the same time, you have your eyes open, your spiritual eyes open, realizing that we don't battle against flesh and blood. We've gone over that in Ephesians 6. We don't battle against flesh and blood. There's a battle happening in the spiritual realm that impacts us whether we believe it or not. And if we don't believe it, we're even more impacted because you're defenseless. Pretty much, you have no way to defend yourself. And now, I, I want to read a story, a passage. And in this passage, we're going to see, obviously, we know that the enemy could have different levels of access into pretty much someone's life, the same way a burglar could have different levels of access. Some of us here in this room, you've been burglarized before. Maybe they've gone to your front yard and stole your Amazon package. And you, yo, you were so sad, you know what I mean? Believe it or not, that's happened to me um, at, at my old house. Someone stole boxes of envelopes. 
They thought it was something really valuable. But boxes of envelopes with my name on it. So I don't know what they're going to do with that. <laughs> they were so disappointed. They're like, these are TVs. You know what I mean? Like walking out and all of a sudden it's just a bunch of envelopes with my names on it. I'm the only one that lost out, but they couldn't do much with that. So, so maybe you were burglarized with someone stealing your Amazon package that you were waiting for and you weren't tracking, uh, tracking it. Someone might have gotten into your backyard, stolen your bicycle or stolen something else of value, maybe your car. Someone might have had access to your basement, first level, second level, or obviously they could have had access to the entire house. So the same way a burglar could have different levels of access, the enemy is able to have different levels of access too. So right now we're going to read a story in the Bible where you see someone that where the enemy came in like a thief and burglar and completely devastated and destroyed their lives, you could say. Had full control. It wasn't that they came in for 10 seconds into a car. It wasn't that they came in for 10 minutes into a house. No, 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 no. They pretty much moved in, kicked up their feet on top of their coffee table, and they were watching Netflix on their TV and just had complete control of the person's life, Okay. And that's where we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 26. You could turn there. It says this. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. So all of a sudden, Jesus was there. A demon-possessed man comes up to him. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Now think about it, too. It's like the enemy had such a control in his life that he literally lived in the tombs, symbolic of death. It's like, I'm here to destroy your life so much, I'm going to have you live among the tombs. So think of what's happening spiritually there. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, I want you even to just pay, you're going to have to pay attention. Here he says, don't torture me. Just one, uh, pretty much signifying one person. For Jesus, the next statement says, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of him, out of the man. So Jesus already commanded the impure spirit out of the man. Okay? So all of a sudden, that impure spirit left the man. But now there's someone else shouting out of the man. Because if Jesus told that impure spirit to leave, it had to leave. Okay? So there, all of a sudden, we know that it says, For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of man. Many times they had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So all of a sudden, just as a recap, Jesus shows up, the demon-possessed man comes, he casts out an impure spirit, and now there's another demon inside screaming, like mentioning himself, it's like, I beg you not to hurt me type of thing. And all of a sudden, Jesus says this, what is your name? And you might think, it's like, why would Jesus ask, what is your name? Even at that moment, Jesus realized, it's like, hey, there's a lot of things happening here. I need to identify what the problem is here. What is your name? And then all of a sudden, he responds, legion. And for us to realize a legion in the Roman army is usually 4,000 to 6,000 soldiers. So here, for the demon to respond legion, he was symbolizing, we don't know if it was 4,000 to 6,000 demons, but he was pretty much making it clear to Jesus, there are many of us in here. This is our house type of thing. So it's legion, he replied, And then, because many demons had gone into him. Then they begged Jesus. Now look at that. Remember before, when I told you, pay attention, I said, don't torture me. Okay? Now look at this statement in verse 31. And they, 
It's no longer me. It's not just one. Now it's they. It was like a little choir of them crying out, begging. It's like Jesus repeatedly do, uh, not to order them to go into the abyss. So all of a sudden, continuing in verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And we know because of the other gospels, it, it mentions the story except the gospel of John, there were about 2,000 pigs on the hillside. The, demon, the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down to the, the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. So here you have 2,000 pigs where demons left the man, and the demons possessed the pigs and rushed them down a steep bank, and they all drowned. So you could even see, it's like, the demon's main goal is death and destruction. It's like here, it's like, you know, they just didn't want to be tortured, you could say, by Jesus. And even in them leaving, they're like, I'm going to destroy anything I can through my path. So here, 2,000 pigs end up dying, you could say, because of what happened there at that moment. In verse 34, we continue. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in, in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had come out sitting at Jesus' feet. Wouldn't you be sitting at Jesus' feet if that was you? I'll be sitting there washing Jesus' feet, be like, Jesus, whatever you want. You know, here he was at Jesus' feet, and, and it says, dressed, he wasn't naked anymore, and in his right, right mind, and, and then it says afterwards, and they were afraid. The people from the town, they were afraid when they ended up seeing this, wondering, it's like, what in the world happened? with all of this. So here, I just want, want you to realize, we know that he was in the right mind, and also in other translations, it says sound mind, and if you go back to the Greek meaning of that word, it also signifies being in control. All of a sudden, this man, who had lost all access pretty much to his life, and the enemy impacted his life negatively, all of a sudden, he had control again. He had control of his mind, his heart, his soul, you could say. His entire body was pretty much protected, you could say, because he was able to secure, you know what I mean, like not having the enemy in anymore. And all of a sudden, he was able, you could say, to lock the access points that the enemy had in his life. So what we're going to do I want us to understand this because you know what? Sometimes we, we look at these type of stories and we feel like, you know what, Carlos? That doesn't apply to me. I don't see how this could even be something that I need to really even pay attention to. You know, this is the extreme level four. This didn't happen overnight. For that man or any person that's, that's ever been, you could say, possessed, Little by little, there's levels that pretty much the enemy is able to gain access into their lives. And guess who's the only one that could allow the enemy to have access? It's us. It's only us. You know, and I mentioned before, for a burglar, the, the, their choice tool, you know, it's our negligence. In the same way, spiritually, the devil, his demons, his, their main tool is our negligence. Because once he realizes that we're not protecting ourselves, it's an open door for the enemy to be able to come and have his way little by little. And something we need to realize is that the enemy, he's there to destroy. And he'll come in little by little, and you, don't, you think it's harmless, you think it's not going to impact you anyway, but little by little, he starts getting access to your life. And all of a sudden, you start changing. All of a sudden, the things that you knew were wrong, you think that they're right now. Your entire mind starts pretty much flipping. 
All of a sudden, it's like when it comes to the things of God you don't want anymore, the things that the world offers are more appealing. But little by little, you all of a sudden have given the enemy access to your life. And I'm going to highlight four different levels, and we're going to go through them real quick. The first one is influence. It'll be right here behind me. It says there. And many of you, just to let you know, you, um, in the back of your bulletin, you could take notes if you want through the teaching. Influence, the capacity to have an effect on the character and development or behavior of someone. The enemy wants to have influence in your life. He wants you to be able to hear his whispers. Just even if you entertain his whispers and you're not even willing to do what he's whispering, he's willing to have that level of access. The moment he's able to have influence in your life, he knows one day when you're vulnerable, and all, one day when things are not going according to the way that you want them to, one day when you feel like you've rock, uh, hit rock bottom, all of a sudden he has influence and his whispers, little by little, you start to amplify in your life instead of silence them. One of the most powerful disciplines you could ever learn as a Christian, really as anyone you could say, but as a Christian, is to learn what voices to amplify in your heart and mind and what voices to silence. Sometimes we allow the voices of the enemy to play too long in our hearts and minds on repeat. And all of a sudden, when you hear the voices long enough, all of a sudden you start believing what the enemy is saying. So influence is a big thing. And this is something every Christian, you have to be on guard. Right now, this moment, in this room, there's people where the enemy has influence in your life. You've turned your ear, your spiritual ear, to the enemy. And let me tell you, the enemy doesn't come in and also say, hey, I'm the devil. You know, I'm trying to whisper to you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm trying to get you to fall for what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, he's not like that. Like, even when you heard, like, the burglar giving the illustration, he doesn't come in, like, with a hoodie and a ski mask. He's like, yo, I'm about to break into this place. He said, it, I thought it was funny. He looks at the guy. He's like, I dress like you. You know, the guy is dressed in business attire. He goes with business attire. He blends in with the crowd. In the same way, the enemy, he blends in with our other thoughts, you could say. You know what I mean? He could plant thoughts. He doesn't know what we're thinking unless we say it or out loud type of thing. But all of a sudden, the enemy tries to blend in so we can't recognize or spot them. Number two is this, obsession. The state of being obsessed with someone or something. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that anytime you're obsessed of anything, the enemy is there. Remember, that's the extreme view. I'm saying sometimes there's these unhealthy, uncontrollable obsessions that people fall into that are unbiblical, but yet they justify it and they think it's okay. And all of a sudden they run after these obsessions that drive their lives, drive their, their lives. The next one, the next level, so from influence to obsession, the next one is oppression. The feeling of um, being heavily burdened mentally or physically by troubles, uh, troubles, adverse conditions, anxiety, etc. All of a sudden, it went from all of a sudden it went from influence to obsession to oppression. All of a sudden, you feel oppressed. You feel like there's something heavy in your life that you can't move forward. And everything, there's always troubles. There's always stumbling blocks. There's always things. And you feel almost like the enemy is trying to lead you to the tombs. Trying to lead your life to be filled with depression, filled with anxiety, filled with so many things that could devastate you. And all of a sudden, you just feel oppressed. And lastly... The last level, possession, being controlled by an evil spirit. Now, just to highlight this, I know Jesus cast out impure spirit. And I'm just going to even just highlight this with the four levels, even thinking of, an, let's say, impure spirit, opposite of being pure, pure in heart and everything like that. Let's say 
Pornography, just as an illustration. Influence, the whispers and the influence of the enemy trying to get us to fall into pornography. All of a sudden, an obsession. You feel like you cannot stop looking at them, whatever it is, either pictures or videos, all of a sudden it becomes an obsession in your life that you can't control and you justify it and you just say, well, I'm a guy or whatever it is. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, all of a sudden you come up with reasons why it's okay. And then another, another level, it's oppression. It goes beyond obsession. All of a sudden you know that before it might have just been, let's say, for fun type of thing, you thought it was harmless, all of a sudden you know it's destroying you. All of a sudden you know it's destroying your marriage. All of a sudden you know it's destroying the way that you view women or men. Or all of a sudden it's destroying your view of everything. All of a sudden you're depressed. All of a sudden you know that you're addicted. All of a sudden you know that it's taking over your life. All of a sudden that you know you don't have victory over that. Because let me tell you, God wants you to have victory in every area of your life. Right now, this moment, if there's an area of your life that you don't have victory over, if you don't have dominion over an area of your life, then all of a sudden, those areas, there's a very good likelihood that the enemy has influence in that area. That's becoming a stumbling block to you from being able to have victory in that. And then all of a sudden, from oppression, there is the possibility that someone could become possessed as well. So those are the four levels. If you could turn to Proverbs chapter 4. So as we close this series, I wanted to highlight the main access points. Something that's important for us to realize, there's many access points. The same way, the same way like in a house, like how many access points in the house? You might have three main entryways, one on the side, one in the front, one in the back. All your basement windows are entryways to possibilities. Even your second floor windows, people sometimes try to climb the fire escape or use a ladder. There's so many different um, entry points. But I'm going to highlight five major ones. If there's a place for you to start to make sure that everything is locked and secure, this is the place to start. This is the place where you could start and start having victory in your life. Because you know what? Of course, you know, we've given our lives to God. And you know, God's given us his strength, his, um, his anointing, his spirit lives in us. But at the same time, we can't become negligent in exercising what he's given us. And be doing what we have to do, like, uh, like I've used in the past an illustration like this. Like even in, in my house, I have an alarm system. What good is it having an alarm system if I don't use it? You know, God has given you weapons to be able to keep your life secure from the enemy. But what good for, for you to have those spiritual weapons if you don't use them? What good is for me to have ADT just for me to walk past that uh, keyboard, oh, what a keypad, that keypad that's on the wall for me to walk past, be like, hey, buy keypad, you know, just walk past. Like, yo, what's that little sensor there on my door? What good is it for me to have that? And what good is it for me to have that and not use it? Right now, this moment in your own spiritual life, God has given you all the tools to keep your temple, God's temple, your house, you could say his house, secure. But if we're not using his tools, if we're negligent to it, if we're just ignorant to it, if we just don't think that it matters or it makes a difference, all of a sudden, the enemy is having access into our lives without us even realizing it. So I'm going to give you the five main, point, uh, five main areas of access. And we're going to start reading in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18. It says this, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. So here, I'm not going to at this moment pause for each one. I'm going to give you a little homework when you get home. This passage from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18 to 27 I want you to be able to read it 
And when you read it, um, you'll be able to highlight and see the access points afterwards as well. But I'm just going to read it through. It says this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of my sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Be, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all of your ways. And do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. So here in that passage, and I told you we're not going to stop and highlight each one right there. But I'm going to tell you the five main access points now. And you can go back and you can find them. Because I, how I said, there's actually even one or two possible extra ones, but these are the main ones I want, I want you to focus on. The first one is this, our mind. You can write this in the back of your bulletin. Our mind as an access point that the enemy tries to influence and come in. And we talked about that two weeks ago when I, when I taught. And one of the key verses that I, wrote, I, I highlighted was 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension, which means claim, any claim that comes into our mind that's not of God, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I love that. And we highlighted there before we had the cross. I don't know. Uh, I looked to the right. I thought it was there. But we highlighted the fact that every thought, we have to take it and make it obedient to Christ. And I love the part where it says make it obedient. You wrestle that thought down. When you know it's not from God, you wrestle it down and you bring it right to the foot of the cross. Be like, you know what? I'm not going to entertain this thought. This thought is not of God. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to believe it. I don't care what's whispering. I don't care what's shouting. I don't care what's saying to me. This thought is not of God, and it's not going to be in my mind anymore, and I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. And that's an access point. Why is that passage there? It's important because all of a sudden, if we allow any thoughts to drift, any thoughts to be entertained in our lives, those thoughts impact who you are. When was the last time you thought about what you think about? What do you think about? Do you, like, and let me tell you, sometimes I'm around certain people, and all, and I know because they say it out of their mouth, I could only imagine what's in their mind, all they think about and they say is just completely negative. It's just negative. It's like, it's like, it's like, like bubbling through their skins. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just completely negative, and you could only imagine what's going through their mind. So that being an access point, your mind's, how in control and how locked down do you have your mind? And, and let me tell you something. Some of us have believed the lie that's okay for us to think of certain thoughts and entertain thoughts that are whispers from the enemy, and we give ourselves pity parties, and we like to share it with other people so other people could justify like different things in our lives. No, it's like if the thought is not from God, it's not from God. And there's no reason to entertain it at all, at all. So all of a sudden, where are we with that? And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So if you ever need a filter to try to think of those thoughts are worth thinking about, pass it through that filter. Right there it says, whatever is true, 
is what you're thinking not true? If it's not, you shouldn't really think about it. You know what I mean? Like what, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's our mind. Access point number one. Access point number two is our eyes. Is our eyes. Access point. Check this out. Matthew 6, 22 to 23. Jesus says something very interesting. He said this. The eye is the lamp which other translations say window, okay? The eye is the lamp slash window of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So with that, I'm going to ask you, what are you looking at? What are you allowing your eyes to be filled with? Like before I highlighted pornography, if you're allowing that to be in your life, you're filling your life with darkness. With darkness. It's a window to your soul. You're not locking your eyes down. Don't literally lock your eyes down because, you know, you got you to look where you got to go. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, but it's like you got to be careful what you look at. It's like, it's not, just, it's not just from the lustful side. It's also like when it comes to like inter- being entertained by demonic things. There are certain movies I do not watch. I just don't watch them. Like there's certain movies that like some people are like, Carlos, that's too extreme. It's like, you know, I love horror. Like, you know, not me. I'm here. Someone's like, I love horror films. It's so funny. It's not that bad and this and that. And let me tell you, to keep it real, like, there are some films, I get it, they're just corny and cheesy and, you know what I mean, like they're trying to be scary and they're not. But there are some movies that are straight up demonic. Straight up demonic. So, you know, I've taken the stance, I don't watch scary movies at all. My life is not worth, I don't want to give the enemy an, like a little foothold in my life because I all of a sudden I watch like a scary movie at all. Like, I don't, that's, that's my decision. I'm not telling you that you have to do what I do, but I tell you this much. Some movies are straight up demonic that were created, intended to bring the demonic influence into the lives of people. And people ignorantly, with complete negligence, sits down and allows their eyes to take in all this demonic Stuff like, uh, like um, I mean, I'm thinking like Poltergeist, The Shining, and all these weird demonic movies that if you don't think that that has any type of influence into your life, you already have been convinced and blinded by the enemy. Because without questions, there are some demonic movies, demonic music, demonic places that you could go to and be a part of, or groups, or whatever it is. And you have to be conscious of what you're allowing your eyes to see. I love in Job chapter 31 verse 1, Job says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So all of a sudden, Job made a covenant with his eyes. I'm not going to look lustfully at a young woman. So have you made a covenant that you're not going to commit adultery with your wife or husband by staring and lustfully looking at someone else? You know what? Let me tell you something. A lot of times people think adultery is just committing the act of adultery. Adultery, in in my view, is when you emotionally give someone something that only belongs to your spouse. If emotionally you're giving attention, when I say attention, I'm talking about that special attention. You know what I mean? The attention you know that shouldn't go to anyone else but your wife. You know what I mean? If you're giving that attention to anyone else besides your spouse that you know belongs, all of a sudden in my eyes you commit adultery. You, not physically, but emotionally you cross the line. You cross the line. That doesn't belong to that woman or that man. That only belongs to your spouse. And then in the same way, we're, like for all of us, it's like we need to realize that we have to make a covenant with our eyes to make sure that we're, we, we, we pretty much view things that are pure to protect ourselves. Now continuing, the first access was? Oye, pero no se duerman. The first access was? The second one. The third one is mouth. 
Proverbs 18.21, it says this, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Your mouth is an access point. The words that you choose to say is an access point. The things that you say to one another, the things that you say to your spouse, the things that you say to your kids, the things that you say to your coworkers, the things that you say to strangers. And let me tell you something. It's also not just the things that you say, but it's the things that you don't say that you should say. Because a lot of times there's things that we should be saying and we don't say. So here it's like all of a sudden we, our tongue has the power of life and death. When was the last time we used our mouth, our tongue, to bring life into our family? When was the last time? When was the last time we used our, our, our mouth to bring life to our coworkers, to our friends, to those that are struggling, to strangers too? You know, a lot of times we have to speak up and, and, and say, now listen to this, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, it says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So there it says, don't let any unwholesome talk, anything that's not going to build anyone up. You know, I, all of us, including myself, we, we could sit with that verse and entertain and evaluate all the words that come out of our mouth. Do we, when we talk, are we sarcastic? Do we put people down? Do we make fun of people with the words that we say? Do we make others feel lesser than who we are? Like, you know, than us? Like all of a sudden, the words that we say, if it's not beneficial, if it's not constructive, it's not, if it's not something that's going to build someone up, if it's tearing the person down, all of a sudden, we're allowing the enemy to have influence. I guarantee you that in all of our lives, at one point or another, the enemy whispers something in our mouth, like in my, our ears, and all of a sudden it came out of our mouth and we said it. And all of a sudden we destroyed someone's heart, we destroyed someone's life, you know what I mean? Like because of a whisper that started through our ears and that we, we said to someone else. So there, our mouth, like what are we using it for? That's an access point that the enemy uses. And if you notice that in your mouth, if pretty much the words that you say are contrary to the things that God would want you to say, there's a very good likelihood you're listening to the whispers of the enemy at the very least. And I just want you to remember too, I think I told you in the past, remember we talked about the strongholds? The enemy's main goal is to build a stronghold. A stronghold pretty much is, is an area that he controls, a fortified area. So let's say if he's influenced you enough that you've believed what he has said and you've built bricks of what he's wanted you to build throughout your life, all of a sudden you've, he's built a stronghold in your life and literally he could walk away because he already built the foundation of where he wants you to operate from. So we have to be very careful of that. So there we, we, we talk. The next one is our ears. Okay, so we highlighted mind, eyes, our mouth, and ears is the next one. In Romans 10, 17, it says this, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word, of, um, the word about Christ. In John 10, 27, 28, it says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So here, you clearly see that's important to what we're listening to. What are you listening to? Because, and let me tell you something, when, I, when I'm saying that, you're probably thinking, it's like, oh, what am I listening to? Like, is it the radio? What music? Of course, that has something to do with that too. Well, pretty much the music we're listening to, or everything we're allowed to listen to. But it's not just that. What are you listening to if, number one, it's not the Word of God? Your faith increases as you read God's Word. So if you're not listening to God's Word, your faith is not growing in the journey. 
So don't expect just Sunday, just listening to one message to be sufficient. Every single day, you need to listen to God's word and listen to it and apply it to your life. But it's also, it's also, uh, also what do we allow to be entertained in our lives too? The words that we listen to. There's people that in my own life, there's people, I, I gauge people. If all of a sudden, like, I know that there's, what they're saying is not true, it's not of God, it's affecting me in a negative way, all of a sudden at that moment, I'll shut it down. I'll shut it down. And obviously, it depends who the person is. Some people I can't shut down because they're family. You know, I got to love them, you know what I mean? So, but I'll shut it down. It's like, I remember, I remember even when I first came to the Lord, it's like, you know, my best friends used to make fun of me. And it got to a point, it's like, well, if you can't respect my journey with God and you're just making fun of me, you know what? It's like, I guess we're going to have to go two different paths. And we did. We went two different paths. And I don't regret it at all. Just because I knew that as long as I stayed and listened to that environment, it was pointing me and steering me to places I didn't want to go. And we have to look because that influence could also be very smooth, very disguised in a way that we might not even pick up. And I'll give you a a very clear example. Matthew chapter 16, in verse 21, is when Jesus started, it's not going to be behind me, um, when Jesus started um, telling his disciples that he's going to suffer a lot, that eventually he's going to die, and then he's going to be resurrected. Then all of a sudden... Peter speaks up. One of his disciples, pretty much, pretty much a disciple, someone that sold out for him, speaks up, and he ends up pretty much just saying, it's like, never, Lord, this won't happen. Never, Lord, this won't happen. So all of a sudden, it's like the, the voices, the, the words that were coming out were contrary of God's plan. But Jesus, in the midst of that, was able to weave through the statement and see who was influencing that statement, even through Peter. And then all of a sudden, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Now imagine if you're Peter there. It's like, yo, you feel pretty bad. It's like, yo, Jesus, what's up? <laughs> I'm not saying, yo. <laughs> Why would you say that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like Peter must have felt some type of way at that moment. But Jesus was so focused on his mission and knowing the truth from the lies and knowing the subtle ways. Because think about it. Jesus could have easily said, oh, Peter, thank you for, like, like, looking out for me, and and you you don't want me to die and stuff. I love you too, you know, like, let's just, like, just keep it real. No, 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 no. All of a sudden, he says, get behind me, Satan. Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. That's what Jesus said to Satan, directed at Peter. Now, obviously, he wasn't speaking to Peter. He was speaking to Satan, those words were influenced by the enemy. And at the same time, I also believe that Jesus did that as a learning lesson, even for Peter at that moment. That even innocently those, even innocently those that are around us, that love us, that care about us, that might know about God, could hear whispers of the enemy and we could speak it out and, and it's not from God. So that's the fourth access point. And the last one is this, our heart. And we saw also in that passage in Proverbs how it says, above all else, guard your heart. Our heart is where our emotions and pretty much our desires are. And whenever we have uncontrollable emotions, Like, that's a red flag that something is wrong when it's uncontrollable and you don't have victory over that emotion. A lot of times, like, we talk about being spiritually mature. It's not just about being spiritually mature. It's about being emotionally mature as well. God wants us to grow up and be a whole person. So sometimes someone could be very spiritually and emotionally, they don't have victory over areas of their lives. And that's why sometimes I say, look, I'm not that impressed if you could quote 
from Genesis to Revelation, every verse from the Bible, okay, that's great. How do you apply it to your life? Have you applied it to your life? Do you have victory over these areas in your life? So is in your emotions, does your anger, like pretty much, it's a rage. It's like all of a sudden you go from zero to 60 and there's no stopping you. No one could get in the way. All of a sudden, that anger has to be controlled and you have to have victory over that anger. Obviously, for, that, for us, we could think of so many different emotions that we could have and you could fill in the blank, but there's emotions. If there's emotions that are uncontrolled, it's a red flag. And obviously, I'm not saying like the enemy is whispering, but I'm saying don't be blind to the fact that the enemy could be whispering. Because I want you to have victory over your life. And also from our heart comes evil desires. From each of our hearts, there's things that come out of our hearts that are not from God. So what do we do with those desires that are there within our hearts? You have two options. One is to fuel them. Or two, to crucify them. Because we have to crucify our flesh daily, not let those desires try to grab a hold. Because let me tell you something, every single person here, including myself, if those desires start springing up and we start watering those desires, we start putting gasoline in those desires, all of a sudden we'll have a raging fire destroying our lives. Sometimes we wonder, it's like, hey, what happened to that person? I thought that person loved God. I thought that person was following God. It it probably feels like we got blindsided. It comes out of nowhere the way things were devastated. That might have come out of nowhere to us. But in reality, it was a slow fade where the enemy, little by little, went through the four levels where he had influence. And little by little, he ended up wanting to have um, obsession over things. And then all of a sudden became an oppression. And then who knows, maybe even a possession. But for us, we have to keep our heart on lockdown. In Matthew 15, verse 19, it says this. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, and false testimony, and slander. In Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. There you even see, obviously it's not a sin to be angry. But if anger is out of control, all of a sudden it's easy to sin. So I mentioned five access points. Five of them. And we went through them, through each one. And for us, I want each of us even to think with, with the five that I mentioned. I mentioned the mind, the eyes, the mouth, the ears, and the heart. I don't know where you are in your life today, but I just know that this is real. And for some of us, we might think that it's not, or we might think it's like you're okay. But let me tell you, a burglar doesn't need too much space to pry something in to try to get in. And how I mentioned before, the main thing is negligence. In your life right now, if windows are left open, if doors are left open, and the enemy is able to have access, and if you're not shutting down that door, and if you're not closing those windows, the enemy is able to come in and little by little, he starts gaining more ground. He might be satisfied at first with just a little area, but he's never satisfied really because from there, he's going to want to control more and more of our lives. So if everyone could bow their heads at this time. Today is a day that we want victory. Today is a day that we declare war. Today is a day where we choose to keep things on lockdown. You know why? Because only God and God alone deserves to dwell within us and in our lives. Only God and God alone deserves to have our ear, our heart, our mind. Only God and God alone deserves to speak his words through our lips. Only God and God alone needs to steer our lives to fulfill the destiny that he has for us. 
But I don't know what you've done. I don't know how negligent you've been. But I believe for each of us, we need to make a commitment. The same way Joe made a covenant with his eyes, we need to, we need to make a covenant before God with our mind, eyes, mouth, ears, and heart. A covenant saying, you know what? I just want to honor God with what he's given me. And I just want to make sure, not only just for our own lives, but for the lives that he's entrusted to you. If you're a father and if you're a mother, it's not just about you because the enemy wants to come through your life and completely destroy your life and your children's lives. The enemy wants to go through your life and destroy your workplace. The enemy wants to go through your life and destroy your community. The enemy wants to go through your life and destroy everything in sight. But everything starts with you. For you to decide, it's like, you know what? It's not just saying that Jesus is my Lord. It's just really locking everything down and making that commitment as well. If you're here and you know that there's an area in your life, there's so many different ones that all of us could have, that you don't have victory. And in faith, you want to trust God. You want to be obedient to him. You want to be disciplined and no longer allow the enemy to even have any type of influence in our lives. I want you to come forward here in the altar. While you're here at the altar, we're going to pray. And we're also going to sing a song to God. Knowing that God obviously is the one that's fighting our battles. But at the same time, we have a part to play too. So if you're here and you know that there's victory that you want to have in your life, whatever that area is, or if you're here and you know that you just want to rededicate your commitment to God through these main five access points, I want you to come forward now. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about anything else. This is between you and God. I want you to come forward now here in the front. Because you know what? Nothing that the enemy could whisper to you could be worth the destiny that God has for your life. Nothing that the enemy could whisper to you, to you could be worth you sacrificing so much. God has plans for each of our lives. But it's our job to be able to pursue them and protect them. There's many people that have pursued after God's plans, but they didn't protect the house that God gave them. And the enemy has broken in and stolen things from their life. But we have to stand guard and make a commitment before God that the enemy has no place. Not even a foothold we're going to give the enemy. Because God and God alone will reign within our hearts. So as we get ready for prayer, to pray now as you're here forward, we want you to even spend this time asking God for forgiveness. If there's a specific area, you could ask God for forgiveness in that area. Talk to God. And then pastors and elders that are here and any intentional leader that might be sitting down, you could come forward and help us pray for those in the front. But for the rest of you that are sitting in the audience, I want you still to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet and even spend this time giving your heart to God once again and worshiping him. Father God, as we're gathered here with our eyes closed, our hearts are bowed before you, God. Our hands are raised in surrender. God, right now this moment, we're reminded that you say for us to be holy for you are holy. God, we just pray, God, that we would live holy lives separate unto you, God. Guys, uh, God, we make a commitment. We make a commitment with those main access points to you, God. God, you've given us the responsibility to make sure, God, that we honor you with this temple, God, that we would honor you with our lives, God. God, transform us from the inside out. Please forgive us. Forgive us for 
the things that we have said, the things that we have seen, the things we've allowed to be heard. God, forgive us for the things that our heart, God, has meditated on and dwelt upon, God. God, forgive us, God, for even the, the words that we've said that's been destructive to other people, God. God, we pray that you would transform us from the inside out, transform our hearts, our minds, renew our minds, God. God, that we would truly become a new creation, God. That, God, that we wouldn't become a counterfeit creation. God, the enemy's trying to make us into other things. No, we want to become the new creation that you've called us to be, God. So, God, we surrender everything to you, God. And right now, God, we pray for that you would give miracles, God, and victory over the areas of the lives of the people that are represented here, God. That you would give them victory over those areas that the enemy might have had access to. I might have had some territory in there. God, we pray, Lord God, that they would have victory over these areas, God. That you would empower them, that your presence would pour your presence over them, God. God, that we would no longer listen to the voice or the report or anything that the enemy might say. But God, that our ears and our lives would be inclined only to you and you alone. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of this day. Give someone a big hug. And just in case you came forward and you still want prayer from one of the leaders or pastors, just raise your hand if you haven't gotten prayed for, just in case. God bless you.